Turn it up and up and up. We want it louder. Up and up and up. Turn it up and up and up. We want it louder. Up and up and up. We're gonna get the music rocking. Gonna get the bodies jumping. Wanna get the party popping round there. We're gonna get the walls shaking with the noise we really making. Gonna get the party popping round there. Welcome everybody to episode three of the Smoke Show with Dark Guy and Drury on the FHN Network. We're streaming to you live, Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube. You can basically find us anywhere. I'm Jason Maslico, better known as Dark Guy. My co-host, Ryan Drury. How you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing well, man. Uh, we took a little week off there to kind of gather ourselves a little bit. We both had a lot going on, and now we're back on the airwaves. Fired up to be back, buddy. Yeah, well, part of that was me supposed to have my nice professional mic set up, and, uh, well, <laughs> there it is. There, there's another piece. Oh, my God. Let, let, let's just say it was an unsuccessful venture today. <laughs> Amazing, man. I, if only you lived around the corner, I could have set all that up for you. No problem. <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, I, I should be able to figure it out. I just I needed to jerry-rig something up here. I'm, I'm not at a regular table in, in true dark guy fashion. I'm actually at an air hockey table. I sit at an I air hockey it. table when I'm doing this. So it didn't quite line up the way it would have on a normal table. So yeah, yeah. Next, week, th- next week, there will be a mic in front of dark guy. Love it. That'll be great, man. I love. I didn't know you're on an air hockey table, and I don't know how many of our listeners and viewers did either. Do you just like? I think it would be a great idea to just have like a scotch on the rocks on a coaster and just float it around the air hockey table, and every now and again when it bounces back to you, like sneak a quick step. Turn, ah. turn the air on. It could my, my my beard could be blowing. Yes, dude. Yeah, we get some blue and white glitter and kind of like get the Leafs colors going when we ever play hockey again if that ever happens oh who, who knows with all the uh you know new new restrictions coming in with uh toronto going into another lockdown for yeah Pe- people aren't getting the message i guess and i don't know like everybody's got a lot of different opinions about the virus and everything i don't know i, I i've pretty much just been in my apartment where you see me here for nine months and that's been real fun. Uh, yeah, it's it's crazy, man. Like you're in Barrie, though. Like, what is the situation there? Is it? So we've just been deemed, I think, into the uh, orange, yellow zone or orange zone, whatever. Yeah, uh, we, we just got moved up again into another zone. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to spend too much time on it. Uh, you no. can find opinions on on the COVID anywhere, but. Uh, I just I, I don't understand you know the idea behind a, a lockdown for simply Toronto or or Peel. Uh, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, all you're going to do is is force people who who don't get the message, who uh, you know the anti-maskers or the people who think this isn't real. All they're going to start doing is traveling 25 minutes to North York. They're going to tra- start traveling 40 minutes to uh, Barrie, Aurora, and you're just gonna spread it more and more i just if you're gonna put a lockdown in put it in for all of ontario and and get her done uh it doesn't make sense to go by region or by cases because people are just going to travel and and carry it with them 
Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's a it's a tough situation. We probably should have just done what Australia did. And I know Australia is very different and like, you know, they're literally isolated in in the middle of the ocean. We should have just like went full scale like batten the hatches lockdown for two or three weeks in like April and and seen where we were then because they have like no cases there it's it's crazy right and you know you're strict travel and you do this you do that but like we kind of went about it in a wishy-washy way and you know here we are now and I don't know if we're gonna see any hockey certainly junior hockey anyway we'll see yeah, I, I know you were talking, uh, we were talking a little bit earlier today, and you said you had gotten uh, a release from the, from the junior B ranks from the coach. Um, you know, up until, up until this weekend, we, were, we still had a game uh, on Sunday as an uh, exhibition game against Lindsay Muskies out in Collingwood. Um, on, on our end, there seems to be uh, a little discrepancy between what's going to be allowed in the red zones and the orange zones and... Uh, one one faction is saying we could play if we're in an orange zone uh that it has to be red and you can't play anymore uh somebody on the other side is saying nope you can't play in the orange you can't play in the red so uh we'll figure it out it's not looking too promising unfortunately uh like you said i'm not too sure i didn't see what the goge re- released today what are they doing in, in junior b so basically with junior B and, and essentially the same thing in junior C, basically what both those leagues had done was, you know, we didn't really hear a lot from the junior leagues up until about September. Uh, that was including, you know, the CHL as well. Right. So we all know that the Q has been playing, but, uh, that hasn't gone very well. No. Um, basically the plan then in the fall was we're going to wait until around November, late October and decide whether or not the situation's good enough where we could potentially play in late October, early November. Obviously that didn't happen. So then they rejigged it and they put out a big release in, I believe October saying December 2nd is our, is our prime start date. It's ideally when we'd like to start now, just today on November 23rd, the GOJHL put out an official release through their commissioner mark tuck um basically saying that now we're going to push it back to january 15th and they're going to play a modified five on five and there's still no clear picture on whether there will be fans i mean it'll all be up to local public health officials right but basically what they're going to do is the the idea is january 15th they'll play a short season that will end in late march and have the sutherland cup handed out no later than the first weekend of june i believe is what they want so their idea basically is uh you know in in terms of of uh of covid is basically there'll be little brackets within the three gojhl divisions you'll play one opponent over the course of two or three weeks five or six times then isolate and then play another opponent in your division same thing so you're probably going to play only three or four teams that'll get you into a playoff round um they need permission i clarified this both with junior c and junior b i would assume it's the same with you guys in junior a and the ojhl you need permission from each public health officer in a different region to be able to have a team come and play so if if collingwood goes you know to Lindsay or whatever and, and you're in a different county or municipality both public health officials need to okay it so that's a whole bit of red tape as well. And then 
just digging into their modified rules. We heard a lot. We talked about this on our first episode with Biz Nasty. Go back and listen to that. It's on all the best podcast apps, including Spotify. Um, we were talking about this with them and basically saying, is it going to be worth it for them to play like three on three? And I think all of us are on the same page, you know, no. And I don't really like what they've put out in this release either they'll play five on five no body checking at all it'll be it'll be a penalty no um no intentional physical contact i don't really know what that means uh, <laughs> i guess i like no corner scrums yeah that's uh, no at no post whistle scrums either it'll be a penalty if you're in a post whistle scrum gathering around in front of the goalie but then with live play how does that work like can guys fight for rebounds how does a loose puck in the corner work i, I don't I don't understand it. It it's again wishy washy. Like it's like it, it's like with all of the restrictions all over the country. It's like some places are doing this, some places are doing this, and it, like some sport. Like we're seeing with the NFL, guys are slamming into each other for two and a half hours, and you know the experts down there are saying you're you're prone to the virus more from long exposure periods to someone who has it. So that's why you'll see guys, NFL teams shutting down facilities and everything because, you know, guys are sitting in a film room together for two hours watching film or they're on the treadmill or whatever, right? Whereas in a game, you're, you, you have some physical contact for a brief period of seconds, you split off. And, and that's why there aren't a lot of guys testing positive as a result of games played. It's more their teammates getting each other yeah. infected, right? So if that's the case and, and you're going you're gonna to allow guys to get on a bus together, you're going to allow them to potentially travel together, you're going to sit on a bench together. And so you're going to be able to do all that. And we, all, we know that in junior B and C, it's mandatory. You have to wear a full face shield. And now they're, they're going to get a bunch of those Bauer mouthpieces to cover their mouths and everything. So if you're going to have double face shields and you're going to let guys get on buses together and sit on benches, like what's the difference if I run you over in the corner? It's a 0.1%, you know, 0.1 millisecond piece of body contact. Cool. I don't understand. I, I just, I know everybody wants to play and it would be great to be able to play in some fashion me personally i just i just don't think it's worthwhile i just don't i still don't believe we're going to see any local junior hockey um com like in a competitive sense at all i just don't see how it's feasible well i'll tell you right first of all you would never run me over in a corner but well i got, I got what you're saying i got what you're saying uh second of all you We've been we've been experiencing everything what you've been saying so far uh, with Collingwood. Uh, we've had to do the exact same thing. Uh, both our you know the Collingwood uh, health officials, Lindsay health officials, had to agree to both sides of it. Um, we had the ability to have a little bit more of a presence in the arena than Lindsay did, but that's very simple. So in order for this to happen, uh, when our team was traveling to Lindsay. We had an X amount of people that were allowed to uh, travel there, and that was it. No bottom, like, I would have loved to have gone to Lindsay to watch a game or two as well. However, given the fact that their health uh, standards didn't allow for that, well, then that's what you have to do to play the games. Now, it's worked uh, under this model, that from what I've seen, and you know, knock on wood. Um, 
we've played five games. No players that I know of have had uh, anything merely even closely resembling a symptom. Uh, and when it's done, they're going to have to go into an isolation. Uh, same thing as, as you were describing. And everybody's going to have to go through the whole protocols. And when it's all safe to go again, we might look at providing it, we're still able to uh, look at going into maybe another one of these exhibition series in December. Now, it's changed the game a little bit. Um, like you said, that there, there's no body contact. Um, the refs have been pretty good so far in distinguishing what is incidental contact. Um, two right, guys yeah. for a puck and you brush into the guy, well, that's not a penalty. There's There was no like intent to uh, be physical. It was just, hey, two guys are reaching for the puck. Yeah, happen to bump into each other, uh, and and I think there is a way to do it. Uh, but I, I, you know, I feel the same as you. I just as as long as the numbers keep climbing, uh, restrictions keep getting put in place. I just I don't see how it's going to happen, and that'll be unfortunate for so many different reasons. Uh, you know, a lot of these players they they're working on a dream here. They're they they're, they've dedicated their life to. Uh, reaching a goal and you, you might be taking away one of their lost opportunities uh, in junior hockey because of it. You know, a, a lot of owners have uh, put their nose to the grindstone and, and put a lot of money into, you know, bringing junior hockey to these small communities where uh, it's so beloved. And, and, you know, what are they going to do for a whole calendar season with no income? It's just like, it's scary to think about what what the end result could be of a full season of no junior C, junior B, junior A hockey. Well, yeah, it is, and it's unfortunate. And yeah, I I think everybody is on edge and nervous. Um, I just like at this point, it's getting it's getting so deep into what would normally be you know, coming up on the halfway point of the regular season in our junior leagues that we were involved in. And I just feel like we're never really going to get to a point until there's a vaccine widely distributed that fans are going to be allowed on mass into buildings enough that there's even going to be a profit scene. Like I actually am of the opinion that it's probably unfortunately just going to be cheaper to just not have a season. Yeah. Uh, you know, the operational costs alone and, and the travel, all that stuff, it costs these owners money. And, and you know, many, many ownership groups like in junior B and C, especially uh, the list of cyclones that, you know, are around the corner from me right now practicing, you know, they're community owned. They've got, you know, 10 or 11 different people involved in ownership. And <laughs> like, it, it's a lot of money to run a junior hockey team at that level. and. I just don't think that it's going to be feasible without a single person or even 50 people in, in, in the arena. It's just not going to be feasible and it sucks. Like, yeah, it's, it, we talked about it with biz and, and Kipper a little bit as well. Like it sucks for guys that are going to lose a year or more of, cause remember the season got cut off in, in March. It, like it sucks. It's not, fun but you know there are a lot of aspects of our lives that just aren't operating normally i i had like six or seven concerts that i had tickets for this year couldn't go i i you know it, it's it's a sad fact of life and i just don't know if 
I'm wrestling a lot with should they play with these wonky rules or should they just fold up shop and hope by June, July that there's a vaccine there. You know, all the leaders are talking. They've got these vaccines that are 95% effective and everything. They could be rolling out in early 2021. So I guess I'm a, I'm more on the train of cross our fingers and hope by like July, August, tons of people have taken the vaccine. It's working and the numbers are plummeting. That Are you going to be one of the guys that goes, or would, would you line up to be one of the first ones for the vaccine? Uh, or are you waiting for a few people to see if there's any side effects? Well, I, yeah, it's tough, right? Because, you know, I take the flu vaccine every year. I, I mean, if, if scientists are saying that they've trialed enough people and that they're saying it's 95% effective and they can guarantee that there's not going to be weird adverse, you know, effects from it. Yeah, I, I will take it. I will, I will take it to, you know, get life somewhat back to normal. I, I do anything to do that. Um, I don't want to be one of the lab trial people <laughs> now. And like, they're getting paid for it and everything. You obviously. end up growing a blue beard or something. Yeah, that'd be weird, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> no, it's I. But if if they, because they're you know, it's law. Like they have to do clinical trials with a certain number of people. Then they enhance the number of people and and give people like a double dose. See what that does. Like, I'm not a scientist, man. I don't know what I'm talking about. Like you know what I mean. But like they test this stuff, and if they do it, and they come out, and a ton of people can verify, yeah, like we we tested 10,000 people and it's killing the virus. Thumbs up, get me in line. Let's go. Well, we kind of segued uh, into one of my next uh, uh, things I wanted to talk about when we were talking about the, the financials of the junior situation. Um, you're looking at the NHL right now and you look at the list of remaining unrestricted free agents. There are some names on that list that, you know, in, in any other climate uh, would have been long gone. Uh, somebody like a, a Mike Hoffman, uh, Duclair, Athanasiu, uh, even, you know, twilight of his career, but somebody's got to have a use for Corey Perry. Um, oh, yo, for sure. I, I'm pretty sure you, Eric Halla is still unsigned too, Halla. is he not? Yeah, Halla. He's a pretty good player. No, Sammy Vatnin, Hamannick. Uh, yeah, they're pretty quality hockey thinking? players. You think you think in that you know the uncertainty of you know potential income for the NHL as well is factoring into the delay in some of these guys getting signed, or or some people maybe just kind of trying to be a little a little too particular on on where they land. What, what do you you know? What's your make of this? What's your read on it? Uh, so yeah, definitely that. I, I think it's I think it's kind of two situations it would depend on the team right like a team say like the leafs or montreal or, or boston that is maybe specifically a team more like montreal that has a good chunk of cap room are probably sitting there with still plenty of money more so than say an arizona or a you know a carolina or something like that and are sitting there and going you know the cap is going to be flat is there a guy here that I want to give a long-term deal to or, or even a two to three year deal uh, knowing that the cap's not going to go up any further and I'm going to have young guys that I have to pay later on as well. So that's probably a factor in it for sure. And then of course, for some owners that just, 
you know, aren't in markets that are yielding hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars a year, like a Montreal, a Toronto, a New York Rangers. Um, there are probably a lot of ownership groups that are sitting there with cap room going, gee, I don't really know if I can invest three or $4 million in a Sammy Vatnin or five, six, maybe $7 million for a guy like Mike Hoffman. I, I don't know if I have the kind of loose cheddar hanging around to do something like that because I've already lost $25, $30 million off the end of the year. God knows what playoff losses were like. I mean, especially for the teams that went deep, like, you know, Tampa Bay. And it, like, who knows how much money they potentially lost that they normally would have been garnering with pure playoff gate. Because remember the player salaries are done being paid on the final day of the regular season. So everything that comes in on playoffs, merch, all of it is just pure gate and, and it's huge for owners. Right. And to not have that and basically just be living off of TV sponsors and merchandise sales. I mean, I don't know how many people were online spending $200 on reverse retro jerseys, but <laughs> uh, you know, so yeah, that has to be a factor sitting there going, gee, do I have two or $3 million to give Eric Hall? Do I have five, 6 million to give Mike Hoffman? I don't know if many owners feel comfortable that they do right now. Yeah. I just, I, for, for me, I, I just, I look at the, the, the the talent level the the scoring potential there's there's so many teams that need some depth scoring and you've got a guy like Mike Hoffman sitting there for months now with without a contract and it's like I get times are tough but you need to improve your hockey team one way or another I mean make a move he'll get signed like he he's a for sure like he will be signed. And I think he'll be one of the first guys that gets signed whenever the, the NHL and Players Association, uh, they're working as we speak right now, uh, when they fully iron out a return-to-play plan. We know they want to start January 1st. The owners have kind of come back and said, we want to do another escalated 16% escrow spread out. And the players are kind of going, I don't know. They already agreed to... A, a weird like twenty percent system over three. I, I think you're being you're you're being polite with that there because the the they're not happy. The the feeling and the temperature I've I've gotten uh, is not a e. Uh, this isn't cool. This they screwed us. They set us up and they're screwing us again. Uh, not not good uh, for for long term you know negotiations. They they just signed their extension, um, and and now it's like the NHL's coming back to them. They haven't even you know entered into it here yet and uh, the nhl is already coming back wanting to make amendments the players are not happy not happy at all no they're not happy but i mean at the end of the day and and it's unfortunate like yeah i feel bad you sign a contract you you expect to get a large chunk of that contract and um yeah to lose that money you know sucks but no one really saw this pandemic pandemic pardon me coming and like listen i i'm never on the side of the owners and gary bettman i'm i'm always pro player i think that these guys sacrifice a lot i know people some people out there are like oh but they make a bajillion dollars some of them do and but they sacrifice an awful lot to entertain people that like the sport 
Um, you know, whether you're a hockey fan or not, it doesn't matter. There are a lot of people who are, and these guys sacrifice their body, their time, time with their families to do this stuff and to lose out on that money is, is tough. And I'm never, you know, a proponent of the owners or anything like that, but you know, it's just the reality we're living in. We're going to have to make concessions, um, on both sides, whether it's an additional 16%, I bet you it falls somewhere more around 12 or 13. Um, regardless they're playing like if if they're able to actually do it and, and do a canadian division or however they set it up like like they're playing like they cannot afford to not play at all the only the only thing i would say and you know like you said i'm i'm in the same boat obviously uh 99.9 percent at a percent of the time i 100 side with side with the players the only thing i would say on on this topic and some of the you know noise in the background I've heard recently about the players not being happy is did did you really not see it coming like the owners were going to try to recoup some of their losses one way or another and right now the only way they can do that is through the player salary so I mean the writing had to be on the wall there somebody somebody in the NHLPA had to be smart enough to say hey guys just be prepared because they're going to want some money back and the only way they can get it is from us. So I just, I don't, if they were caught off guard, they shouldn't have been. And if they saw it coming, maybe they shouldn't have, shouldn't be making it as, as bad as it, as they are in some cases, but uh, I get it. I mean, yeah, I signed a contract. I want my money too. I don't want somebody coming back and saying, Hey, uh, times are tough. Let's renegotiate. And I think, too, off the back of that, right, and I've seen it twice now with my team, uh, I think that a lot of superstar players, like really, really high-end players, you're going to see more and more guys going the way of negotiating their own deals and not paying an agent to do it. Ovechkin's been doing it essentially his entire career. Yeah. Um, he and his mom negotiated that monster uh, hundred and. $12 million contract, $122 million contract, whatever it was. Uh, he was worth every penny. And he's going to renegotiate his next deal. And Nick Backstrom, his buddy, it's his birthday, by the way. Happy birthday, Nick. Uh, he just renegotiated his own deal without an agent. I think you're going to see guys like Austin Matthews, McDavid when his deal is up. Guys like that that are the really big heavy hitters, I think you're going to see more and more guys do that to save themselves money because of the landscape that we're in and i i bet you too a lot of guys will hold teams hostage a little bit and go you know what i only want to sign for two years and you're going to give me close to max money rather than spread it out over a seven or eight year deal where you make 12 or 13 no how about you give me a two-year deal at 30 million and i want like we were talking about in baseball trevor bauer right now Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. Like he's, he's going to get he's going all, on one one year deals trying to cash in year after year. For sure. Give me that one year deal and let's see where I end up next year. And he'll in his situation Trevor Bauer in Major League Baseball coming off a of Cy Young like he he's going to teams he's are going to just have to Oh, well they think I just got to sign a blank piece of paper. What do you want? 35 million? Yep, probably. And yeah. he's probably worth it. Um he's never hurt um, 
and hockey players are going to do the same. I, I think you'll see guys maybe that, you know, when Matthew's deal is up, maybe he goes to the Leafs and says, you know what, I'll take a, I'll take a two-year extension. You can give me 28 or 29 million. I'll make 14, 14 and a half a season. And uh, of that 28 and a half, let's say, I want 22 of it paid up front. I Like that's what guys are going to start doing. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, right? And no. Some teams are just going to have to bow to that and, and pay out massive sums of money. I like the Leafs aren't going to shed a tear over that. They could afford to do that. But some teams in other markets, like, you know, when if Sebastian Ajo turns around and does that to Carolina, like is yeah. Tom Dundon going to pony up $20 million well, in front loaded cash? I don't think so. He fired their broadcast crew. <laughs> give Sebastian Ajo $20 million. Come on. Come on, Tommy. I'll have to I'll have to talk to David Ayers see what kind of uh, yeah. what kind yeah. of what kind of bonus he got he got out of out of Carolina. No kidding. Before we go too far, I know we got we do have a, a great guest coming on. He's your uh, co-host on NWO Sports. He's got thirty years uh, in the industry. Chris Chris Clark. I do want to touch real quick before he, he hops on here. Kendall Coyne. Yes, Kendall Coyne Schofield, big hire for the Blackhawks. Absolutely. Hired as the uh, director of player development. Absolutely massive step in the right direction uh, for hockey in a gen on whole. Uh, so great to see that happening uh, for, for Kendall. Um, just, it's about time, I guess, is the easiest way to put it. Uh, following in the footsteps of, uh, you know, maybe the Leafs bringing in uh, Haley Wickenheiser a few years back. Uh, I don't know. Congratulations. That's all I got to say. No, it's great for the sport. Um, it's going to open a lot of doors, which it should have done years ago. Uh, women belong in sports. I, I just think that that's a general statement that should just be accepted, and they deserve positions um, you know, that men have held, and, and they deserve to be in the conversation for positions like this. And, I mean, you, you look back a couple of years, she blew everybody away at the skills competition that year where she was unbelievably fast and the fastest skater. I mean, Connor McDavid was blown away even. I mean, it's incredible. And she's one of the best American hockey players ever. And she even said in, in her interview doing press that, you know, Cami Granado, Ray Ferraro's wife, it was a huge inspiration to her. Easily the greatest, some would argue the greatest female hockey player ever, certainly the greatest American female hockey player ever. And she's one of the, yeah, uh, for sure. And she, and she's one of the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, one of the scouting directors for the Vegas golden Knights. So, you know, Cami Granado continuing to lay the groundwork for people like Kendall Coyne Schofield, and I'm excited to see what the next generation of women in hockey are able to do off the back of an announcement like this. Absolutely. Well, with with, with no further ado, uh, Ryan, I'm going to hand you the hand you the introduction here. Uh, Clarky's waiting to come in, so uh, have at her, ladies and gentlemen. We are very excited right now to welcome in my good friend and host on MWO Sports, a man who has tons of experience in the broadcasting industry, he worked for your beloved Maple Leafs for a long, long time. He worked at Fan 590. He was Bob McCowan's producer. I mean, this guy's done it all. Chris Clark is on with us. Clarky, what's up, buddy? <laughs> Clarky's mic is muted. Incredible. 30 years in the business, he can't unmute his mic. I love it. He doesn't have his mic unmuted. No, we can't hear you, buddy. Such a great intro. And all of a sudden, 
Clarky <laughs> is is NA. We can see him. He looks great. He's gonna figure it out, man. <laughs> Clarky's NA. Can we hear him? We still don't have his audio. Clarky has has jumbled his microphone. Probably one of the funniest intro bits I've ever heard. I like give him this great endorsement. 30 years in the sports media business. Yeah, he's just a great sports media guy. Mike doesn't work. <laughs> Fantastic. He's even got the Leafs TV shirt rock in there too. Oh, I knew he was going to have that on too. He should. He's, he was one of the original guys there. He, uh, Clark, 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 he's like, come on, keep going. Keep talking about me. Clarky actually was one of the original guys there at Leafs TV with John Shannon. We'll, we'll try and hook back up with Clarky here. I bet he just has to go into his preferences. Um, yeah. But he was one of the original guys there. And for a long time, one of his main jobs at MLSE was online content creation. He was one of the uh, original guys on one of the original teams, the Maple Leafs, that were kind of at the forefront in the NHL of doing online content. And of course, you know, Clarky could tell you a famous story. If anybody's read Steve Dangle's book, he'll be a guest on this show at some point too. Um, he helped launch his career. I mean, you know, the guy's done a little bit of everything. Like he worked with Bob McCown. I mean, what do you want, right? Is Clarky ever going to figure this microphone out? I don't know. No, we can't hear you, brother. This is a full-scale Clarky Mike meltdown. <laughs> well, it's not a meltdown until until we see the mic go flying across the room. But well, yeah, Clarky's not really the. I, yeah, can you hear me now? Can oh you hear? Oh my me? goodness! Hey, hey, but here's the deal. Okay, okay, this is not my fault. Uh huh. I don't know what's it. happening. We Tell do this every it. week, Drury. Like it's yeah. It, there's something wrong here. Like I'm hearing myself through my headphones and I'm hearing you guys through my speakers on my computer. Is it oh, it's your sound preferences, buddy, for sure. Is, is this one working? Absolutely. So Absolutely. that's how you're hearing me. Yes. Okay. Well, at least two of us have mics. And you're loud and clear, which is great. Now I, I've done enough, you know, polishing off your resume in front of everybody. Uh first of all, how are you, buddy? You look great. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm like, it's such a bad way to start a show. You guys having to fill like I was, I was listening to, I was out for just a little country drive today and I was listening to your show with Kiprios and the same thing happened at the beginning. You guys were like, Oh, there's Nick. He's looks like he's starting to set up and all this stuff. And so just the way it, you wait for this to happen. I don't here's, know. Here's about. the thing. Here's the thing with Kipper there. I don't think that he realized that when he clicked the link that it was he was back. live. Yeah. Like oh. and so he was still setting his stuff up. Yeah, yeah. I know. Okay, now I just fix everything. I'm hearing you guys in my ears now. There it's you okay. go. I love it. Buddy. I am a techie. I, this, I do know how to do this. Yes, this guy is a you professional, know, I promise. Now, like I sat, I sat many years beside Tom and Jerry and Joe Bowen and Bill Waters. I was like the guy twirling the dials. I know what I'm doing when it comes to that stuff. I know you do. You're the producer extraordinaire. Now, like, tell us a little bit about that because obviously, like I mentioned, long time at MLSE, Leafs TV, you were director of online content there. I, I talked a bit about Steve Dangle and your relationship with him. Woo! But going way, but going way back, like you worked with Bob McCowan for a long time too. I mean, the guy's a yeah. legend. Like, where did you start though? Like out of college, what was your first gig? Like what my, were you? My, yeah. 
Yeah, my first gig was working for telemedia broadcasting, um, just okay. operating the ball games in the studio. So, um, uh, you know, Tom Cheek and Jerry Howarth and Joe Bowen, they would call me an engineer. I wasn't an engineer. I was just the operator in the studio. Basically, I would play the music, um, count them down out of breaks, uh, play all the network commercials. So back then it was separated, right? Network and local it still is, but it's done a little differently now. But back then, all I had to hit was the network spot. So we had carts piles and piles of carts. I still have nightmares about the carts because if you're not organized, you're screwed. You really are. If you're not organized in there and have all your carts ready to go, uh, it can get really hectic when you have to play the commercials. But so that's where I started. And then like, it wasn't long after that, they, I graduated, I guess you could say to being on site. So being on site at Maple Leaf Gardens and actually I trained at Exhibition Stadium. Funny thing is the very first game that I was supposed to do by myself was one of Dave Steve's eight and two thirds innings of no hit ball, and Jerry Brown of the Tex or the uh, the Cleveland Indians broke it up eight and two thirds, one out away. Um, that was one of my first games, and and uh, I remember Tom went to throw to the play of the game after the game, like we always do, and it was my job. So how we did that was we had cassettes back then, and anytime something happened in the game, we would take the cassette out and write out what the play was. So you had like. 15 cassettes at the end of the game with all potential play of the games. So of course we knew what the play of the game was in that one. So it was Jerry Brown's hit. So I'm pretty sure that was his name. Jerry Brown It was a long time ago, but I have the cassette ready and there was a little trick with the cassette talking about today with having to figure out how to get the input and outputs, right? If you had to queue up the cassette by headphones and there was a little button on the front of the task cam uh, cassette deck saying, rear output or front output. So front output was the headphone. So I have it all ready to go. Tom's, well, let's go back to the uh, top of the ninth and there's no doubt what the play of the game was in this one. Let's listen. Boom. And he throws to me and I press the cassette and it's rolling and I see the needles moving on the, on the VU meter and nothing. I don't hear any audio and I'm like, oh no, oh no, oh no. Oh. Then I realize, uh-oh, it's that button. I push the button and all you hear Tom say is, and that'll break up the no-hitter. Like, oh, no. That's so, awesome. So Tom threw to break. Instead of saying, let's try that again, he just threw to break, and he looks, turns around and goes, well, Clark, it can only get better from here. <laughs> so that's that, a true story. But that's, that's great, though, because, you know, he could have, like, freaked out and, and whatever. Beautiful. There's Gilmore. There's Gilmore the cat. And it's a girl, dark guy. It that's is, but Gilmore it's named the Gilmore. Cat. Yep. Um, I guess yeah, we can he, let that slide. We can let it slide. Yeah. We. Yeah. He could have freaked out at you, but I mean, at least he was kind of, you know, almost sarcastically encouraging. Because some yeah, people he, aren't I like mean, that in this business, Clark. No. No, for sure. He wasn't happy about it. Neither was no, I. And, I. and it was a mistake I never made again. And that's the key, right? You and learn and you sure. don't do it again. So that was. But that was. Uh, that was quite something to do that. And then, uh, yeah, and then I made my way down to uh, Maple Leaf Gardens and worked right beside my idol, Joe Bowen, and uh, at the time, Bill Waters. So it was, it, was, it was a neat experience to start off my career, for sure. And that was late back, I guess, the late 80s, 87, 88. Yeah. Marky, now, I, I have a couple potential, you know, uh, I think I know what your potential answer is going to be, but thinking back at your, your time with MLSC and, and you know, working – with Bowen and what would you say would be perhaps your biggest moment that uh, you, of a broadcast you were, you were involved in? 
Wow. Um, do you remember when the uh, when Mike Gartner's stick flew over the glass at Maple Leaf Gardens and a fan handed it back to him? Um, and he went down, I think, and scored a goal. I was there for that game. Uh, most of the games that I remember were bad games. Like I remember um, the Leafs playing the Blues in the playoffs and Alan Bester in net and Sergio Mameso scores a goal from outside the blue line in overtime to win. I, I mean, I remember those things. Um, yeah. With, with Joe, um, some exciting moments. A lot of them involved uh, beating the Ottawa Senators in the playoffs as things progressed. Uh, I think Corey Cross scored a goal late in overtime once for the Leafs and uh, against the Sens in the playoffs. Um, well, we, did that, we did that often, Clarky. So, I mean, if you don't remember yes. specific games, there's, yes. there's a lot to choose from of the Leafs beating Ottawa in the playoffs. Every That's right. They've never, they've never lost to them in the playoffs, and we remind all the Sens fans every time they bring anything up about that. But... Um, you know, and, and some of the just the banter between Joe and Bill, and then Joe and um, Gord Stellick. Then I worked with Ken Daniels and Gord Stellick. Uh, a lot of guys made their way through the booth at the time. But uh, one of the funniest story, funnier stories, is the and I, I'm sure I've told this story before to Ryan. But um, Bill Waters was an agent at the time he was uh, working at, uh, as a, a color analyst for the Jays. Can you imagine that nowadays? Uh, anyway, he had a private booth, a box, um, at the end of the gardens, and his bartender's name was Jimmy. Well, they had a code word for Jimmy, and every time they would say on the air, hey, it's time for an out-of-town scoreboard. Well, not only did that mean, okay, let's get the scoreboard, that, mean, that meant Jimmy had to bring them their rum and Cokes. <laughs> and that happened, you know, two or three times a game where they would say, it's time for an out-of-town scoreboard. We'll get to that in a minute. There comes Jimmy down the, down the press box. Um, so that was fun. Guys, I also had a chance to um, sit with uh, Jimmy Holmstrom, the organist for, the, for uh, the Leafs, um, in his perch at Maple Leaf Gardens. And he wanted me to come down and be a spotter for him. Um, so basically you would, you know, if there, if there was a, a goal that maybe he didn't see, you know, like just helping him out throughout the game. Well, the guys beside me were the NHL officials in the video booth. Um, and Brian Lewis was in there a lot and I know Brian really well now, but some of the guys who would go down and pound on that door, um, did George McPhee work for the Canucks? He did, right, as an assistant GM? Yeah. Yeah, so it was George McPhee who one day he was pounding on that door as hard as possible, um, just was not happy with a call on the ice, and he was pounding the door. Um, they never let him in. And then you talk to them afterwards, and they just laugh. They go, yeah, you can pound as much as they want. I'm not letting them in, right? So, <laughs> um, so that was neat as well. And some of the other, like, I don't even know, Drury, like I was the voice of the Toronto Marlies for a year. Um, That's right. Doing the... PA announcing down at Rico. Um, and two things I remember about that. Once is I forgot. It's not that I forgot. It was a little scrambly, the organization at best of times. Uh, so I guess I did forget to introduce Justin Pogge at the beginning of the se the beginning of the season. All the guys were coming on the ice and I was introducing them one at a time and everything was great. And I forgot to introduce Justin Pokey and he just sort of put his head down and crawled onto the ice. I didn't even know I forgot until Bob McGill said it to me at the end of the first period. Um, but the other thing is um, it was a, a fighter for the Leafs. Oh, man, I'll remember his name. Just give me a minute. But the banter in the penalty box, because that's where I was sitting, right? Right in the penalty box, right between the two guys in the uh, penalty box. And the banter that would go on and the chirping that would go on down there 
was worth the price of admission. It was awesome to hear that stuff. Just being in a penalty box in a professional uh, atmosphere um, was was great. Yeah, every once in a while, it's great when those uncensored uh, oh. mic out, mic outtakes from the players being wired up. Uh, when those hit the YouTube waves, there there there's some pretty entertaining chirps, one hundred percent. I can imagine what it'd be like to be sitting there and and hearing them firsthand. And you're trying to announce a goal or a penalty or whatever, and you hear this going on. You can't not help but hear it. The guy's literally three feet away from you. Yelling it in um, your ear, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, what, hey, Dark Guy, what's going on with the microphone? Like, what is happening? It's right yeah, here. Okay, well, well, it's not plugged in. It's got to right be here. plugged in. What's going on here? It's right here. He hasn't figured out look, how look, to. It's all like it's MacGyver. all easy to do. You just follow the instructions, don't you? Next week, uh, next so week, I, he'll be plugged I had a in. Friend send it over to me uh, to do me a favor because they didn't like listening to me with no mic anymore. Yeah. And I spent a good half hour or forty minutes tonight trying to Jeremy rig it, MacGyver it up because I'm not sitting at a regular desk. I'm I'm at an air hockey table. You so know where I am? To really clamp it on nice and easy. <laughs> nice. So, uh, when, when the show is over, I'll, I'll have to figure it out and it'll be ready to go for next week. All right, fine. That's good. I'm sitting at a ping pong table. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know He's at the ping pong table. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what's worse is, is, is having a mic not set up or having a mic and not knowing how to work it. Well, I, I know how to work it. It's just, uh, when you're sitting here and you're like, let's explain to the viewers and, and listeners how this happens. So I click on the link you send, and then it comes up saying, the producer of the show will let you in when he wants to. And you just <laughs> sort of sit there and you wait and you can't test anything. So I'm like, well, I hope it works when it starts. And sure enough, boom, it came on. And then it was like, yeah, it's not, it's not set up properly. So. Yeah, I know. It's just a weird thing not to dive into like microphone geek world for the viewers that definitely don't care. But uh, sometimes <laughs> certain microphones, when you plug them in, just the software that the driver, they call it. Yeah. Um, some programs, when you open them up fresh, like Zoom, for instance, sometimes uh, will change. Yeah. back to default settings and yep. not recognize your external microphone that you've plugged in. So yeah, it's just one of those little techie things. Uh, it is what it is. Speaking of that, Arky, now yeah. moving on, obviously I, I mentioned that you uh, worked for quite a while with the uh, legendary Bob McCowan. We actually had him on MWO Sports earlier this year. That feels like it was three years ago now. Um, but he he was fantastic. And and Bob, I, I got to say this from it's the first and only time I've ever talked to him. Uh, you guys obviously have a great relationship. Um, and we thought, oh, you know, Bob will come on the show for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. He, he ended up eating up the entire hour of the show and we had to do a bonus episode with our second guest because he just talked and told so many great stories. What was it like working with that guy? I know you guys definitely butted heads from time to time. I think everyone who's worked with Bob McCowan has butted heads with Bob McCowan. Right. It's, it's not hard to do. He He's a strong-willed guy and he's got his opinions on how the show should be should be run. And his here's his biggest thing. If a guest says they're going to show up at 7.30, um, then the guests better show up at 7.30. Uh, and like, honestly, guys, you've listened to Bob McCowan. He can fill. He can talk. Oh, yeah. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to do what is on his schedule. So that was the biggest thing is when he didn't get 
the guest at the time we were supposed to get the guest. And he would then say to me, you're never going to wait for a guest to call in again. You always have to call the guest. And I said, okay, so now we're going to cut down about 60, 70% of the guests will actually show up um, because quite frankly, a lot of them want to give out their phone numbers back then. Uh, it's, right. it's a lot different yeah. now, guys. It's a lot different. Like a guy, you can give out your phone number and then as soon as you call it once, they block your number, whatever they want to do. Like it's easy, right? Like yeah, phone yeah. numbers aren't as sacred as they used to be, I don't think. And you can talk to people a lot easier on social media, reach out to them, say, hey, can you come on our show? But that was the one thing with Bob. He didn't like when things didn't go as planned. Um, so there was that back and forth whenever that happened. Sure, it happened once every two or three weeks where a guest just wouldn't show up, wouldn't call in, um, and or would call in late. And so, um, yeah, we did we butt head? Sure. Did I have fun working with him? Sure. Did I get discouraged at times and not want to ever work with him again? Absolutely. <laughs> but I stuck it out for, I think, the longest any producer ever stuck with him, eight years, I think it was, that we worked together. So I started working with him actually on Talking of Sports. He did a show called Talking of Sports with Bill Waters, um, uh, 7 to 9 o'clock on CJCL radio. Uh, they were still music at that time. This was like 1988, 89. Um, and we had regular callers. It was a guy, Jack, Montreal Jack, we would call him. Um, and just like regular callers onto the show. Jury, uh, probably before you, know, before you were even born, but it was fun. It was it was my introduction to talk radio, and it, no one else did a sports show like that in Canada. I don't think at the time, uh, and that really vaulted into um, primetime sports. Starting uh, primetime sports started in 1989, uh, two three years before the fan started. The fan didn't start till 1992, um, but primetime sports six to seven. It was just a one hour show. I remember like I was produced. I was the full-time producer of that show. Howard Berger was the first producer of the show, but then he went under the leaf beat um, covering the Leafs and they made me the producer of the show. And it was like one hour of radio. <laughs> like I can't imagine a full-time job now producing one hour of radio, but at that time it was, and you know how we got our stories. We would read the newspaper. Like there was, there was no social media. There was no way to get get stories. We didn't have people breaking stories. Um, so we would read the newspaper and find interesting stories and then do an extension of that. I can tell you, Bob, Bobcat, Bobcat broke my heart a little bit. I always, I always respected him. Uh, didn't always agree with some of his opinions, but I loved listening to him. Uh, and that's How did he break your heart? Happened. How did he break and, your heart? And, and I heard some comments, or sorry, I guess you could say read some comments. Um, that Mr. McCowan uh, made in regards to Dark Guy. And uh, I don't remember exactly what he said word for word, but let's just say he wasn't a, a fan of the whole scenario. Hey, you didn't make yourself. People made you for you. Social media made you. Um, and you took advantage of it. Out of, out of, all, out of all the people that I, I wasn't expecting... Well, I can't. Sorry, I can't say I wasn't expecting it. I pretty much probably expected it from from uh, Bob, but I was I was hoping it wouldn't. He wouldn't have been the one uh, to say what he said, and he, he he broke my heart. But I'm over it now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Bob, uh, come on the show. You know, we we should we should I I should dig up what what exactly he said and call him out on it. Good luck. Yeah, it might yeah. be a fun show. He does his own podcast <laughs> now, apparently. So he does. Yeah, he, he usually has John Shannon on there Shannon? with him. Yeah, yeah. Who we've uh, also chatted with. Clarky. Now, tell us a bit about that as well. Sorry, Dark Guy. Just tell us a bit about that as well, because obviously you spent all that time with Bob. 
his longest tenured producer. I mean, it, it's a great gig. You got to work, you know, for your favorite sports franchise. It's a, it's something that not a lot of us get to do, and you got to do some pretty cool stuff at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, uh, and a lot of that was with one Mr. John Shannon. Well, John was in charge, and it all started in my office at the fan one day. John came in to do the roundtable, and he was sitting in my office, and uh, over the fax machine, um, back in probably 99 or 2000, uh, a fax came in announcing that the Leafs and the Raptors were getting their own TV networks, and I printed it off, and I just sort of shot it to him as he was sitting in the chair, and I go, are you going to go run that place? And he goes, I don't know. If I go, will you come with me? I go, yep. And that's where it started. Uh, and then as things progressed, and it was about, I think it was about a year and a half or so after they were announced it that they actually launched. Um, I had a meeting with uh, John at a pub in Clarkson, maybe called the Clarkson Pub, I can't remember. But anyway, we had a meeting there um, because I knew him and it wasn't like any, I didn't have to go through any formal uh, uh, interview process or anything for the job, but he named me the, the, um, the senior or live producer for Leafs TV and which was interesting because I'd never produced TV before and it was quite the learning curve, but I had a great uh, cast uh, around me. Um, it really leaned on those kind of people to help me through it. Um, looking at, you know, John Shannon, who was one of the best executive producers hockey in Canada probably has ever had um, and learning from him. And you know what? Talk about working with Bob McCowan and having some tough times. It wasn't easy with John either. He was a very demanding guy, but I learned a lot. And at the end of the day, I came away from it uh, knowing how to produce TV. And then uh, after that, uh, worked my way into... Um, into the online side but yeah had a lot of great things that we did at leafs tv i think there's something uh hold on one second hold on hold on don't go away <laughs> he's got all sorts of great stuff laying around here what have we got here so this this was one of my favorite things that i did at leafs tv um i i did play-by-play -play for kids games so that's me and sammy cosentino there sam was my uh, color commenter on the games, but uh, Jennifer Millard, uh, Darren's wife, was the uh, on-bench reporter and the host of the show. And Chris Elkovich from the Toronto Star uh, did a big story on it, and I have this big printout of it. So it's kind of a neat uh, keepsake from that. But that was probably – I always wanted to do play-by-play. -play. That's why I got into the business. Um, but there was a guy named Joe Bowen in front of me, and uh, I never – Think, thought that I would uh, get the opportunity. Uh, I remember when we hired uh, John Bartlett to do the Marley games, and I was like, why didn't you ask me? I've been doing Saturday's Heroes for the last couple of years, but um, John said I couldn't afford the pay cut, so that's why uh, John Bartlett got it, but John's doing well now. So, But yeah, like just things like that. So we, we brought kids down to the Air Canada Centre, mostly house league teams, because we wanted to give the opportunity to kids' teams that with kids that really didn't have an opportunity to do neat things. You know, they didn't travel. They just played at their local rinks. Um, they weren't a rep team. So we would bring them down anywhere from like, I would say six to 14 years of age. And they uh, played a game at Maple or at the Air Candace Center. And we did the national anthem before the game. We did interviews on the bench. We had Leafs TV pucks. Whenever someone scored a goal, they got to keep the puck. Uh, we had a referee who was mic'd up. Um, it was just it was just a fun, fun time. They would announce. We had a, a an announcer. It was actually Josh Rimmer. Uh, Josh is uh, the uh, son of uh, Jeff Rimmer, the voice of the Columbus Blue Jackets. So Josh was the um, right. PA announcer down there, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I it was it was my by far my most fa uh, favorite thing to do when I was working uh, with the Leafs.
for sure. Well, like 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 Ryan said, you know, uh, you li- you live the dream to be able to work for the franchise that you love, and uh, ho- hopefully one day I'll be able to uh, follow in those footsteps in one way or another. But uh, some people some people are going to thank you uh, for this next tidbit of information, and some people are are, are going to not be happy with you. But uh, you gave a mutual friend of ours his start in the business. Uh, perhaps one of the most recognizable uh, Leaf fans out there, Steve Dangle. Uh, yeah. Great guy, amazing guy, uh, newborn kid. Uh, he's going to be an upcoming guest on one of our shows, but uh, for all intents and purposes, from, from my discussions with Steve, he's telling me that you are the gentleman that gave him his start in, in the business. Can you talk a little bit about how that came to be, uh, maybe what Steve was like uh, in the early years when you first met him? Well, it's funny how he says that now, but when he writes his book, he just rips me for um, for uh, yelling at him when he lost a computer. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so Dangle, here's the deal with Steve Dangle. He, I got to know him when I was producing Junior Hockey Magazine with Gino Retta. Um, it's a show that they're claiming it's 30 years old, but I have a I had I actually texted Gino yesterday because I heard the show and they're saying it's 30 years old. I'm like the fan isn't even 30 years old and it wasn't on the fan before the fan. So how is it 30 years old? Anyway, um, so Steve Dangle was like a producer on the show, a writer we called him. He was the writer for the show, and this is when I had transitioned into the online side at, at Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment, and we had started a thing called Leaf Space after MySpace that was big back then. So we were looking for someone who could be our fan, uh, marquee fan in that space. Um, And one day he told me he did these blogs, these video blogs. And it was like probably, I don't know, three or four months after I met him because he didn't really tell a lot of people. He just, he just had this following and I, I go, well, send it to me. Let me see it. So he sent it to me and uh, I'm like, Okay, it's pretty good, right? He's he's very he he spent a lot of time on them. You, you could tell they were edited beautifully, um, and uh, he he was passionate about the Maple Leafs, and that's exactly what we were looking for. And I uh, told my boss uh, John McCauley at the time and said we should think about hiring this guy as our marquee guy on Leaf Space. And uh, I, I I don't remember all the details, that guy, of how it happened and how, but he tells the story that I called him and said, hey, I want to meet you. We're going to make you a star. And uh, maybe I, I regret those words. No, I can't. Uh, but no, he, you know what? He's, he's done great. Like, there's no question about it. He's done great. Um, uh, when the book came out, Drury knows that I had a couple of issues with the book, just a couple of <laughs> private conversations that I would have in my office with someone. You would hope those kind of things never came out in a book. But at the end of the day, they're, like, they, they weren't anything major. But um, good guy. Uh, I totally agree. Um, humble guy, uh, like really in person. Like he's a really good guy um, to know. But when, he's talented. He's very talented. I loved when he had Hat Guy. You remember Hat Guy? Like his, yeah. his alter ego sort of thing. Um, things like that. But Dark Guy, you know what? You, you, you put that paint on. Like your beard's got a little out of control. I can see it's a little longer when you were, you were – uh, when you were the original dark guy um, and being on TV, the beard is a lot longer than it was then, but yeah, you know what? Um, you just stick around the right people and you'll be writing a book one day. I guarantee it. Uh, I, I, I've had a couple of suggestions to that and um, I probably wouldn't mind doing so, but the mm-hmm. way I see it, uh, I'm not done writing my, my book yet. Um, 
the day the day I have a business card that says uh, professional scout for the Toronto Maple Leafs, I'll start writing a book. There you go. Well, have you tried to get in touch with them? Uh, I've been in in touch with uh, uh, Reed Mitchell. Uh, yep. Speak to him on a regular basis now. I've actually sent him a few scouting reports. Uh, that's he's a, a great guy. He he is a great guy, and and, and truth be told. Um, uh, I, I met him uh, out in Vancouver after a Leafs overtime loss to the Canucks. And uh, I didn't want to go bug him. Uh, they were, uh, he, he was out, uh, I guess the easiest way to say that, uh, drowning his sorrows. Uh, at at Earl's? I, I looked over and I'm like, that's, that's Reed Mitchell. He's the director of scouting for the Maple Leafs. And you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I do not want to be the guy that goes up and bugs them in the middle of, of an, uh, an after hours establishment or a bar, sorry. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. And then I started thinking, you know what, when am I going to be in the same vicinity of That's him? Right. Uh, so I went up and I introduced myself to him and, and I'll tell you, he was so polite, uh, welcoming, took all the time in the world to talk to me. Uh, can't say enough great things about him. So, uh, he handed me his business card that, that night, and, and I've taken every advantage of, of having that information as far as uh, sending him scouting reports and, and talking hockey, and uh, yep. one, day, one day, hopefully soon. So a couple things about Reed. I know Reed really well. Um, he worked for the Canucks before the Maple Leafs. He's from out there, um, yep. and uh, I bet it was Earl's probably that you guys were at. I'm just guessing, but he, he loved Earl's downtown Vancouver. Um, but he was the guy who, when Brian Burke came to the Leafs, he um, started the afternoon shinny. So that's what we called it, afternoon shinny. On a game day, we would play shinny at Air Canada Centre at 1 o'clock um, with, the, with, the, uh, with the front office staff, with some of the assistant coaches, um, some of the alumni, and they needed a goalie. And Reed asked me to play, and it was like – unbelievably good hockey way too good for me but like i would meet so many people that way that's how me and dave poolin became really good friends and and just being on the ice with pooley and he's always trying to shoot five hole and uh, i didn't care if he scored anywhere else on me as long as it wasn't on five hole um but reed was the organizer reed was the guy all the time the guy who would do all the organizing he put puts in so many hours uh, with Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. It is crazy. Um, and you're right, like at draft time, he's the guy. He's in charge of all, all the paperwork for the scouts and all the, all the things you have to organize. He does it all, and he does it without complaining, and he's just a super, super guy. Yeah. Oh, well, for sure. And I think eventually, you know, you have a goal in mind and, and you can achieve that in dark. Obviously you're talking to the right people. And I mean, that's kind of why, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of stuck around uh, Clarkie's right side for the last few years. And I mean, we've started a show together, obviously that's doing well. And well, it's um, not for his good looks. That's for sure. Well, I, yeah, come on now. He's a pretty good looking guy for being you know, <laughs> 52, 52. Sure. Maybe. Yeah. We'll call sure. it that. Yeah. yeah he's more, sure. it's about 50. Sure. Thanks. So <laughs> now obviously um, you were with the Leafs, you, like your time early in your time at MLSE, the Leafs were still really competitive. Like they were really good. They went to a conference final one the first year. year, 2001, the first year they played Carolina. Yeah. They lost to Jeff O'Neill and the Carolina hurricanes, yep. um, which I mean, was, I, I 
I think that if I'm not mistaken, they had a lot of injuries. Like I don't think Sundin played that entire conference final. Gary Roberts missed the first half of it. And I think Darcy Tucker maybe only played a game. Um, but even still, whether they would have beat that great Red Wings team, who knows, who knows, right? Because Cujo was standing on his head still. Um, so that early tenure was like very successful. Pat Quinn and and God rest Pat Quinn. It's six years today that we lost yeah. Pat Quinn, and yeah. he, he was just such a giant in the hockey world, but particularly for Leaf fans and and fans of Team Canada, of course, all the great things that Pat Quinn did, and and we miss him for sure. But like wildly successful. I mean, aside from going to a Cup final or, or winning the ultimate prize, they were very competitive. They beaten the Ottawa Senators all the time and had some great battles with the Islanders and the Flyers. I remember Darcy Tucker fighting Jeremy Roenick and the knee on Mike Pekka. It, it was just a great time to be a Leaf fan, and then. You know, they slowly started, you know, approaching post lockout where we lost the full season. It, it started to go off the rails a little bit. What was that like for you to kind of work for the team during, you know, one of their down periods in their history, we'll call it? Well, during the lockout, like it was, um, it was kind of scary because we didn't know if we were going to lose our jobs. Quite frankly, that was more important to me at the time than any right. hockey. It was like my job, right? Like what's going to happen? And they did say at one point, okay, if we make it to such and such date, everyone's got to take a pay cut. I'm like, okay, well, at least we'll still have a job. Um, we were still doing shows, guys. We were still doing our Leafs Today show every day. Um, and it was like, what, like, like we're now two and a half months in, what are we going to talk about today about the lease <laughs> and, and the lockout? So that's where you really earn your, earn your keep, um, you know, when it comes to producing. But um, <laughs> it was definitely a downtime. There's no question about it. And I hate to say it, guys. I really hate to say it. But when I worked for the team, I sort of lost the fan in me. I really did because it was more of a job at that point and it was um, it was a grind every day like I would be in 9 a.m. in the morning and not leave till one in the one in the morning because I would produce a morning show and then I would produce the pregame show and then I would produce the postgame show which was two hours we had Andy Frost as part of our postgame show taking calls I wouldn't get out of there till midnight one in the morning and then if it was back to back I had to be back in it 7.30 in the morning. So four hours of sleep. So it's a grind. It's not always, it's not always, uh, uh, you know, rosy. Um, that's for sure. Um, but I, at that point I was like, I was still a fan of the team, but I tell you what, when they get eliminated from the playoffs and you know, your summer's here and you know that your, your workload is dropped off a cliff. It's hard not to think, ah, oh, relief. And I hated it. I honestly, honestly hated it. Um, you were happy the Leafs were out. <laughs> right? And like, uh, you, well, sorry, you know, like, can you imagine that as a Leaf fan? Like, can you imagine thinking that? Like, I'm like 40 years old or whatever I was at the time, and I've been a Leaf fan all my life, and now I'm like, oh, okay. It was just a little different because I wasn't right involved with the team. Like, you could tell the guys involved with the team we're so into it and we're very disappointed when it was over. Um, and it's not that I wasn't, I still had that fan in the back of my head and I was like, dang it. Um, but at the end of the day, you're right. It was a lot, things got a lot calmer for me. Um, but so yeah, the first two years they made it to the conference final and I had to work into April, May, May. Um, yeah. and then, um, it was different when they sucked 
and uh, the the guys weren't as good to talk to. It was it's a lot easier when you're winning. Like you know, guys are easier to get along with, talk to. But come playoff time, boy, then a lot of cameras in the dressing room, and you're fighting for position. And we we had an in, like we were always situated, especially for our post game show. We used to get in the dressing room before the game was over, set up our camera over by the video room, and we would get one on one guests coming. To, to us like throughout the show Andy Petrillo was down there and he was great Bob Harwood was down there and then Paul Hendrick um, so all that was really well run um, uh, but yeah it was a lot easier when they were winning for sure to talk to them Clark you, you said earlier that you know when you got into the sport media biz you, you kind of wanted to be a play-by-play -play, uh, yeah. a color commentator you know, you're, you're, you're saying 52 years old, you're still, uh, you're still fairly young. Do you have any desires to maybe try and chase down that dream still? Uh, there's just so many young guys now, dark guy to, to do that job. We're sitting with one guy right now. Who's, who's, who's really good. <laughs> He's probably never really heard Thank me you. do play by play. Um, I, That's I did not true. That's I was, not true. The, I was the voice of the Humber Hawks. Um, when I went to college, we did, we did, uh, the Humber Hawks, uh, play by play. I was named the sports director my second year of college and they wanted me to introduce local sports to the college. So I said, okay, we're going to start doing the play by play for the Humber Hawks hockey team. And I'm doing the play by play. Um, so that was an easy, uh, assignment for me and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. We went to Quebec city for the, for the uh, nationals that year. Um, but then as things progressed and I got into the production side and the producing side, I think it's hard when you don't do something for so long to jump right back in. Now I've been talking to uh, um, our friend Josh Keel about maybe uh, helping out with the Mitchell Hawks this year. Uh, doesn't look like there's going to be a this year. So I don't know what's going to happen there. Yeah. Uh, it was funny when I said to Drury, maybe you can help me do it. He goes, yeah, yeah, I can do play-by-play -play for that. I said, no, no. First of all, he asked me to do it, and I'm doing the play-by-play. -play. I'm jumping back in. Um, so I can it's, be your color, man. Come on. I, yeah, I you would color be the color guy for sure. And yeah, then yeah. We'll, get a, uh, we'll get guest color commentating from Dark Guy every once in a while. That'd be yes. great. Yes. Be great. Yeah. You got to come visit us, man. <laughs> well, yeah, now that I'm up in Barrie, I'm, I'm not as close as the hop, skip, and jump as I used to be from you guys. But Yeah, no, for sure. So, yeah, I do have dreams still, absolutely. Um, I don't think I'll ever get there now. I have other dreams. I, I, I still would love to run a sports radio station one day. That is my ultimate goal. Um, we'll see. Who knows? You never know if, if jobs come available. The couple of good people working at the Toronto sports radio stations right now, but... I keep my ear to the grindstone and uh, really keep on top of what's happening there. And if, if a position ever opened up in sports radio, that's, that's the ultimate goal of mine is to um, now uh, is to run a sports radio station. So we'll see. Well, and you're the guy that a lot of people would probably turn to. I mean, like we've said, you've got a lot of contacts in the business and you've been doing so many different things for so long. And I mean, right off the hop, I mean, you work for the Maple Leafs for, any length of time, I mean, that's going to look pretty shiny on a resume. And I have heard you do play-by-play, -play, man. And and you've you've done color with me a couple times as well on on our broadcasts at CKNX, and you did a great job. And you, I, you know in. what? The funny thing is, Ryan, is I find color harder. And the reason I do find you? color, yeah, because I think with color commentating, you really have to know the teams, you have to know their tendencies, you have yeah. to know the history. When, to me, when you're doing play-by-play. 
you're following the ice. You're following what's going on. It's this all guy about has the, the puck, action. That guy has the puck. Yeah. But when you're a color commentator, you really have to do your homework and you really have to know the game and, and all that stuff. So I find it a lot harder to do color commentating. And I get, I get more anxious uh, before I have to do a color commentating job than I do play-by-play. -play. I did some play-by-play -play too for Rogers TV, uh, the Brampton Battalion. And I remember stepping in there and I called this guy Steph Lejeune for the whole game and no one correct me. So like it's Steph and Legion, right? Like I called him Lejeune uh, because I hadn't done games and I didn't know his name and no one corrected me. And that's the one thing I've told Ryan we do our show. Call each other out. Don't don't be afraid to call each other out when they make a little mistake or whatever. Like, oh, for sure. But the producer should have been in my ear. Like, if that was me producing the game and I'm hearing my play-by-play -play guy calling him Steph Lejeune, uh. well, I'm thinking one of two things. Either, did I not know his name or is this guy screwing up? And I would just go, hey, is it Lejeune or Legion? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Is it Legion? And then everyone would have said, yes, yeah, Legion. I'll, okay, I'll change it. You gotta help a guy out. You gotta bail a guy out. So many times, like when Bob McCowan getting back to Bob. Bob <laughs> did his show in Las Vegas, guys. He did his show from his kitchen in Las Vegas for two years, and I had to every day. There was no internet then, none, zero, no internet. I would have to um, photocopy the newspaper and fax him all the stories in the newspaper. Oh we my did god! We did open phones, like we would have uh, uh, callers call in. And they would talk about the Leaf game last night. And Bob has no clue. Bob has not watched the Leaf game. He has no clue. So what was happening is when the guy was asking him questions about Ty Domi's fight last night, do you think this? I was, I was piping in his ear exactly what happened, and Bob was just repeating what I was saying. That's hilarious. That's how you bail out a guy. That's how a producer can bail out an announcer. Because you could tell, I could tell, Bob has no clue. There's, like, there's no way he has any idea. What's going on? So maybe you got to bail him out. Don't want to elaborate. Maybe you do. But why was he doing his show from Vegas? So here's the answer. Because he could. He made a deal with this radio station. His deal was up. And he's like, I don't like the winners. I'm going to go to Vegas. And I'm going to do the show in Vegas in the winter. And the radio station said, okay, Bob. And how much do you want to get paid for that? And wow. <laughs> because he just wrote his own ticket. He was wow. the king. He was the guy. And uh, That's true. He had a house in Vegas. He had lived there before, um, so he just moved back into his house. I visited him down there. I spent a week down there in Vegas with him. It was quite the time. I'll tell you that much. We went to Red Rock Canyon one day. He said, I got to show you the sights. We get to Red Rock Canyon, and they had just introduced parking fees at Red Rock Canyon of $3, and we get there after driving an hour and 40 minutes, and he's like, you got to pay to park here now? Forget it. We're going to turn around. And I'm like, Bob, like, it's a $3. Like, let me just give you the $3, right? It's like, that's the kind of guy Bob was. Like if the something man ticked of him off, he just wanted, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I've never <laughs> been here. Just park the car for $3, please. I just park drive, the car. I will drive 18 hours back the other way. Yeah. Save $3. Incredible. Yeah. But, but uh, that was Bob. Yeah, he he's a great guy. And, and I mean, just an all-time great host. And like, you know, you, you've told me stories before too of you know my familiarity with bob was was him being on sports fan 590 and um i believe his show was four to six or four to seven four to seven yeah four to seven and and we would watch him every every day after school and or if dad and i were on the road somewhere we would listen to him on the radio dad loved bob and um you've told me famously that he would walk in like 
with seconds to spare before the show started. Guys, like it, sometimes not even seconds to spare. The music was playing, and like I remember we did the show <laughs> it's with four oh one, like. 404, 405, Scott Ferguson hasn't stopped the, the uh, doing the sports update at this point. And, and uh, Bob, nowhere, Bob's nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. And uh, Jim Hunt was there. And I remember a couple times Jim had to do the, uh, uh, the guy named Shaky, Jim Hunt, famous uh, Toronto Sun writer who was Bob's co-host for years. So Bob did his own show from 4 to 5. And then we always had a co-host from 5 to 7. So yeah, sometimes at four o'clock we would have to hit the music like three times, and it's like three minutes worth of right the uh, the primetime sports music. No yeah. no sign of Bob. Uh, he must be somewhere. He's stuck in the elevator, whatever. And he he would just come in. And he goes, "Hey guys, yeah, sorry, I was just finishing my cigarette." And I just you know like no problem. Sits it. down and <laughs> sits down in the chair. But then at five o'clock, if Bob was there, because every he would go downstairs to have a smoke between between the the hours, right when the sports updates were on. So he went down to have a dart, and uh, sometimes he didn't make it on time, and Jim would have to start the show, uh, and it was quite interesting. So, and that reminds me of another thing. Well, April Fools once um, we had we um, made an arrangement with Joe Bowen and Bill Waters that Joe was going to not come back for the beginning of the period, um, the second period of the game, and Bill was going to have to do the play-by-play. And it was all set up, and Bill didn't know, and Bill's like, where's Joe? And I said, I don't know. You're going to have to pick this up, man, because the the puck's about to drop. So sure enough, I go, your mic's hot. Go do the play-by-play. It was the worst thing ever. And then Joe would just come in killing himself laughing. We had that's some fun. fantastic. Oh, yeah, God. we had some fun for sure. Oh, I feel bad. I feel bad all these times that when when Ryan and I had our gig there on on TSN, uh, we we would carpool together, and I I'd, I'd make Ryan. We'd be at the we'd be at the studio like forty five minutes before the show started. I'd be like, oh, oh yeah, that's oh. that's what time we're getting there. <laughs> yeah, no, and you know what? When when I produced with Shulman, uh, prime time, Dan was there at like noon. He was there four hours before the show because he was he was a professionalist and wanted he he wanted to prepare properly, and uh, he was there really early. And you know what? It's one of those things where, as a producer, you like to be in charge of the show and 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 have your focus. And I, I kind of liked working with Bob because Bob just left me alone, right? Like he would walk in at whenever four o'clock, and I would give him the lineup for the day. Um, he would do his open phones at four thirty. We would do, take a break. I would go in and explain the next two hours because the first hour is always open phones always yeah um, so then i would go in and i would start talking to him about the show and what's coming up on the show um and he usually would only want like two guests information at the time so whatever guests we had at like 5 15 and 5 30 or whatever the case may be he didn't like to know too much at a time um but with dan dan was like constantly and dan don't don't get me wrong it was awesome working for dan but it was different because now dan is standing behind me for four hours not literally but hey who do we have who do we have maybe we should try this guy maybe we should try that guy with bob i was like i was the guy right and there was no there was no questioning me of what direction we're going to go for uh during the show but dan liked having his um fingers in it which was great because it helped me at the end of the day it helped um if i was stumped and it was like man i don't know who we're going to get for the fourth guest tonight dan would always have some great suggestions and we would start calling them so yeah but different diff- definitely different both guys for sure and and you know we've had the pleasure of talking to dan on our show as well clark he just a- anybody that listens to dan knows he's an extremely meticulous guy yeah and um y- you know that's uh <laughs> bob had his had his way and it's certainly not the way like dark i said like you know when when i did a couple guest gigs 
with dark guy. I just thought, oh, I'll make one or two appearances here, but it, I get to go to TSN like cool. Right. And I'm yep. like, I got to yep. show up an hour yep. plus early. Right. And yeah. we get there no more than 40 minutes to show time and sit there and like go over notes. It just like, I yeah. did not want to walk in 15 minutes before the show and, you know, be scrambling, but Do yeah, you guys have another guest today or is, am I it? No, oh, no, you were it. Uh, because like on the description on YouTube, it said Rob Shrimp's going to be the guest. So like, I don't know. Oh, they might have they might have uh, confused that with uh, one of the other shows that I'm on. Oh. That was it's off the puck. Off the puck oh, is having okay. Rob Shrimp. Because uh, on the YouTube, I was watching you guys from 7 to 7.30 and it said Rob Shrimp's going to be on the show. So. What a beauty. Eh? He's watching us before he comes on. I love hey, it. Hey, you know what? I want to know what you're talking about. I want to figure it out. Here. And I, like, I, I'm with you, dark guy. Where's Corey Perry? Like, Why hasn't this guy signed? Like, Corey Perry is my favorite non-Maple Leaf. Has been for a long, long time. Will the Leafs sign him? Probably not. Do, would I want them to? Yeah. Is he going to go to Ottawa? That's the rumor. I don't know. Yeah. That well, was the rumor. Like I, yeah. If you were listening, it's like I said, I, I understand there's there's concerns, financial concerns from owners, but you have the some some pretty decent players that could help your team and, and a lot of teams that need defensive help, uh, a lot of teams that need uh, a puck-moving defenseman, a lot of teams that could use some secondary goal scoring, and you, you, you've got a guy like Hoffman sitting there. You've got a guy like Vatman sitting there. Uh, it just, Where's Chara end up? Is Ch Chara well, has a sign, right? I don't. I mean, Chara, I, I don't think Chara signs anywhere but Boston. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw DeBrus sign in Boston today, two years. So, yeah, decent, so decent keep, deal keep for DeBrus. The change yeah. of gears. This is one thing I kind of wanted to talk about with with Ryan today. And since you uh, seem yeah. to enjoy staying here with us, I'm going to ask you, Clarky. Uh, last couple of years, the NHL has, uh, I guess, taken some heat from the media about uh, a lack of fireworks in the off season. Um, the other day, there was a story put out by uh, I can't remember who it was. Josh Josh Wegman, I think, uh, works for the Score, suggesting that. The, the NHL really needs to spice up their offseason and that uh, they should point to the NBA uh, as a prime example of, of what the NHL should model their offseason at. Now, obviously, that's nowhere near uh, coming to fruition. They just signed an extension, so it wouldn't come until, you know, the next uh, CBA contract negotiations. But what would you make of a, a, a kind of like a wild, wild west sort of scenario that the NBA has in the NHL for the offseason? I'm not, a, I'm not the biggest NBA fan, so I don't exactly know. Like the, the NHL has a great June and middle and then up to what the first week of July, basically, um, with the draft. The Stanley Cup gets awarded in early June. Let's talk about a, a normal season. Yeah. Uh, you have the draft usually around the June 24th uh, mark. Then you have July 1st free agency. Um, I don't mind a little downtime after that. Like people need to recoup. People need to take breaks. People need to um, just unwind after a long season. And that, that's when you usually see like Bob Kenzie's of the worlds and all those type of guys taking a couple of months off. I don't know. I don't mind it. I like, I think it's an American thing that they just think it needs to be souped up a little bit. I'm fine with the way it is now. Um, is that what you mean? Like, is, is, is it just the, uh, well, here, here's the thing, right? Clarky and, and, and dark eye, you know, here's the difference, right? Is that I don't think that it's just ever going to be able to be possible really, unless we hit 
some sort of magical year where a bunch of 28-year-olds are free agents at the same time and a bunch of them pull a John Tavares and are considering leaving a franchise that they haven't had much success with. Other than that, and that just doesn't happen that much in the NHL because even though they've shortened contract limits and whatever, uh, because if they hadn't, you know, you would see guys sign 10, 12-year deals like what Ovechkin did back in the day. Um, So the other thing too is it, it can't happen to that degree with the salary cap. The NBA right. has you a need, luxury yes. tax. Yeah, and that's so, what the league that I would love a luxury tax, wouldn't we, Dark Guy? That's well, what, absolutely either either, yeah. either rolling either a rolling yes. cap or a uh, a soft cap. Yeah, it's never going to happen. Whatever you with don't Gary spend, Church. you know, as a lower market team, whatever you don't spend up to the cap this year, you can bank that for a few years and and use that when the time is right or you play pay the luxury tax which I, i'd be fine with too the leafs would go over money. all the time the Leafs would go over they wouldn't care they yeah, make well, money what yeah. talking about was you know using a rolling cap or a soft cap uh but then they started talking about using like player opt-outs in the last two years of your contract and they, they pointed to uh james harden i think it just was uh, turned down a 50 million dollar offer from houston because he wants to go to New York. Yeah. Uh, and they were trying to encourage like superstars to move in their prime. And for me, that's part of the thing that, you know, I like about hockey is yeah. there's loyalty to the team that drafted you, that gave you their chance. I don't want to see Connor McDavid play on five different teams in seven years. No. I, I don't want to see Crosby play on six different teams. Like, yeah, you I know what? I like it the way it is. I I do too, and a lot of I think a lot of uh, American sports writers and stuff want to make it like the NBA or the NFL. Like I was thinking today, you know, I was listening to sports radio today. I was just taking a drive, and they were talking about the Vegas Raiders, and I'm thinking, you know, like can you imagine if the Maple Leafs were like the Raiders, Oakland, L.A., Oakland, Vegas, L.A. Like it's just not cool. And it's like, as much as we all can sit here and say, you know, Gary Bettman this and Gary Bettman that, um, the owners really try and Bettman really tries to keep teams in their towns um, unless there's no owner available. Um, and he doesn't like owners just like holding ran- the city's ransom that they're in to get new building deals. It just doesn't happen in hockey like it does in football. Where are the Cardinals now? Where are the Rams now? Where are the Re- like Baltimore Colts, Indianapolis Colts? Like, it just happens so much in those sports. I'm glad that hasn't happened to hockey. Sure, we can all sit here and probably say Phoenix should not have a team. Well, Phoenix has a team. If there's an owner there who wants to pay the bills, um, and if the league has to take it over, then they can't take it over for long in my mind. Should they be in Quebec? Maybe. Should they be another team in Toronto? Absolutely, there should be another team in Toronto. And you know what? When Bell and Rogers bought the Maple Leafs, I always thought it was a short-term thing because they're in charge now of the territory. And wouldn't they both love another team in the biggest market in Canada? I would think so. We always thought when I worked for the, with, for the team that when that happened in like five, 10 years, Bell would own one team and Rogers would own another team. They would split it off and someone would own the Leafs and someone would own a new team in the area. Um, I still think it's going to happen one day. I, I really think another team is going to come to Toronto one day. It's just, there's too much money here not to. There's too much money in this area to support a team. Um, like you look at, you know, three teams in California, three teams in within what, like 25 miles in New York. Mm-hmm. The biggest hockey market in North America is Toronto. There needs to be another team in Toronto. 
is so it going to be a team you, what movie? would you think clarky do you do you, you know back in the back when they were talking about um oh my god why can't i not remember his name now paul silly yeah paul silly bringing the uh predators uh to the ha- to hamilton yeah uh for myself i, I did not see that as, as a feasible option uh i thought uh, perhaps it, maybe markham would be more well suited mississauga something like that what where do you think if if there were to be a team yeah somebody calls you tomorrow and says clarky i've got i've got 800 million dollars for you to put a team in toronto uh where are you putting it well my first question is where do the clippers play the la clippers LA. yeah where do they play so they they share staples center oh with they the Lakers. share yeah. staples center would you want that though? Like, cause the Raptors are already in there. The, uh, like, I don't know. What do you mean? If, would I like, would I want it? What, like, what's the deal? What's the big deal? Like it's just, like, they can just, turn that thing around in a day, a half a day. You could play a Raptor game in the afternoon and a, a I know, Leaf game at night. You really it, could. It just, it makes the ice suck. And then to double that and have the ice suck worse. And then the other thing too, is that Scotiabank and I'm sure, you know, the people who own the building, I don't know who owns the building. If it's the Leafs, I'm sure the Leafs, the Leafs own the building. Oh, it's okay, their building. So they own it. So I think that having another team there would also probably conflict with concert dates and stuff like that. So I don't know how they would. So they you're need right, their Ryan, own building. You're right. Do they need their own building? Probably at the end of the day. Um, they could make it work. They could make I it see work. What you're, saying. you're right. The, the the concert thing is a is a major major part of their business. No question about it. Um, Markham, dark guy, getting back to that question wherever somewhere close in the gta hamilton markham has the cops, rank. cops is not an option uh, no. hamilton's not an option no markham is the answer or anywhere if they want to build another rink somewhere else that's that's the answer and i really think it's coming i really think we'll see another team in toronto in our days and i have less time than you guys probably well not the way jury runs his life i'm kidding come on that's <laughs> not true at all no it, i i agree i i think it will happen and yeah i mean you look at yeah three teams in california i mean the coyotes are still a thing for some reason uh, yeah. sorry biz and uh it, it's just i i think that it's feasible and i think that a lot of people would probably um get attached to a cheaper option than going to Maple Leaf games, like right off the hop, because the team's not yeah. going to be able to charge $1,200 for gold seats. You know, Not off I mean? the hop. So, no, you're right. Not off the hop for sure. It'll be a cheaper option. Absolutely. Um, and they'll attract a lot of fans that way. And there's a I lot of fans so. waiting for that to happen, to jump yeah. on that. I don't see... Dark Guy, did I show you this? Oh my, yeah. I was going to bring your tattoo up and I forgot. I'm glad you reminded me, dude. You like that? Let me see. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> yes. Tattoo <laughs> sharing nice. time. Here we eh? go. We're the tattoo brothers. <laughs> Here, should Ooh. I show mine that has no, a Stanley no, Cup date no. on it? Stanley uh, Cup winners? Well, we, we, have, we, we don't have room for all 13 of our cups, Ryan. So we'll, yeah. we're going to wait till they win the next I, one. I don't want to. Okay. Okay. Are we going to start this whole thing of how the league? Okay. Yeah. Just stop. Just stop. Just stop. Just stop. They've won 13. So don't just get away. Oh, and on that though, we can, we can, we can put uh, Ryan to bed with the, the note that he only has one Stanley Cup. Uh, Clarky, thank you so much for your time today. You've been an unbelievable uh, guest. So gracious with your time, your stories. Uh, one of these days, you can definitely uh, 
introduce me to some of those uh, people that might help me point help point me in the direction of MLSE. I will do that. No yeah. question. I will do that. I'm always uh, willing to help and a good guy like you for sure. And I know all those guys down there. Dave Morrison's the uh, director of professional scouting. He was the amateur head of amateur scouting. I think John Lilly, is it John Lilly who's the director of scouting now? Um, but John is, um, he's a good guy as well. Um, I know those guys. I spent a lot of time. I used to produce 12 years in a row. I did behind the draft with the Leafs and spent time right in their, in their war rooms and, uh, no problem, guys. Thank you very much. I know you had Biz on the first show, Kiprios on the second show. Someone must have canceled for you to call me on the third show. Oh, come on. But I appreciate it. I love it. Anytime you want me to uh, talk hockey or whatever, just give me a ring. A million uh, percent, buddy. You can follow, uh, follow Clarky at sports under, underscore Clarky on, on Twitter. Uh, what's your – do you have Instagram, Clarky? Of course I have Instagram. I don't know I what it looking is. Looking for it before the show. He doesn't started, know what it I, is. I couldn't find. Hold your, on, just give me ten handle. seconds. Hold on, hold on, hold it's on. It's probably also sports underscore Clarky. Uh, you would think, but I tried that. Right, Clarky. Uh, no, it's not. And maybe I should change. It's Clarky underscore twenty nine. My goalie number. There you Clarky go. Clarky underscore twenty nine. Instagram sports underscore Clarky on uh, Twitter. Their show is NWO Sports on CKXN Network. Feel free to give oh, CKNX, get it right, CKNX, CKNX. and it's coming to YouTube. <laughs> and it's coming to YouTube, oh, that's when's right. That, when's that happening, Clarky? Uh, December, December 4th. December 4th. And we've As got always. a heck of a guest lined up for that, too. Anyway, so. thanks, guys. Uh, Cheers, Clarky. Thank I'm going to disconnect my mic now. So Ryan Drury, at CKNX Drury, uh, at Ryan Drury on Instagram. Same thing, give them a follow. Thank you, Matt, to our... Uh, uh, our fantastic producer for another great show. Thank you to everybody tuning in. And just remember, where there's smoke, there's fire. There's fire. This has been an FHN production. Listen to our new shows every week on Thursday on any podcast platform. Also, check out our live shows on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Twitch.